Welcome to Business Brief, Missouri Business Alerts podcast focused on the news and issues shaping the state. In this episode, we will look at how supply chain issues have raised prices and made business harder for coffee shops in the state. Then we will analyze a proposed tax credit program aimed at incentivizing filmmakers to shoot their movies in Missouri. My name is DC Benicasa, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Ian Laird. How are you doing this week? I'm doing pretty well, counting down the days till spring break. Ooh, any fun plans for your break? I'll be heading to New York City, going to try and meet up with my older brother and just kind of explore the city while I'm there. What are you doing for break? I'm headed down to the Gulf Shores in Alabama with a few of my friends. I don't think it'll be hot enough to be prototypical beach weather, but it should be pretty fun all the same. Well, we aren't quite to spring break yet, so how about we get started with headlines? Sounds good. What's up first? The Federal Reserve Bank decided to increase interest rates by a quarter of a percentage point Wednesday. The move was anticipated as the U.S. Central Bank attempts to lower inflation, which hit a 40-year high last month. Throughout the pandemic, the Fed has kept its interest rates low to try to stimulate the economy and encourage investment. But now the Fed hopes this interest rate increase will help tame rapid rising prices. Fed officials signaled the rate increase could be the first of up to seven this year. Anheuser-Busch InBev will suspend the sale and production of Budweiser in Russia. The brewery, which has its North American headquarters in St. Louis, said it asked the controlling shareholder of its joint venture in Russia to suspend its Budweiser production and sale license in response to the war in Ukraine. The suspension comes after two of St. Louis's largest publicly traded companies, agriculture distributor Bungie and industrial giant Emerson Electric, halted operations last month in Ukraine for their employees' safety. One of St. Louis's biggest law firms, Brian Cave Leighton Paisner, also seized operations in Moscow last week in response to the Russian invasion. And in another European story with an impact on St. Louis, the Germany military has entered into an agreement with aerospace company Lockheed Martin to purchase 35 fighter jets and use European-made jets to do jobs reserved for Boeing FA-18 Super Hornet fighters. This move is a blow for Boeing and St. Louis County, as the Super Hornets are produced in the county. With Germany's departure, the only customer for these Boeing fighter planes will be the U.S. Navy. Experts say the move could represent an eroding global market for the Super Hornets, which could require the federal government to continue buying the jets to keep the St. Louis County line viable. And as baby boomers continue to retire, a new report projects a severe labor shortage among senior care workers around the country, including Missouri. The Alzheimer's Association says that the U.S. will need 10,000 more doctors for the elderly by the year 2050. Missouri will need 23,000 additional home health and personal care aides in six years, one-third more than it has now, according to the report. The Biden administration in February announced reforms aimed at improving nursing home care, including minimum staffing requirements, promoting single-occupancy rooms, and penalizing facilities that perform poorly. Our first story covers a familiar issue, supply chain issues. Here on Business Brief, we've talked about supply chain issues across a variety of industries. Now we are looking at the way they've affected coffee shops. So how are they affecting coffee shops? Well, one way is pushing up coffee prices. Coffee futures have increased over 65% from this time last year because of labor shortages and increased demand since the beginning of the pandemic. Coffee shops have also had to face much longer wait times on materials like beans, napkins, and even straws. Sounds like it's been a grind for these businesses. How are these supply chain issues affecting Missouri coffee shops specifically? 
Well, Grace Nealon got to talk to a few coffee shop owners here in the state to examine the challenges they're facing and how they're dealing with them. Here's Grace. Just like many other businesses during the COVID-19 pandemic, coffee shops have had to deal with supply chain slowdowns and an increase in demand. So if you want a latte, you can play just the thing. Sweet cinnamon. Yeah, that's good. That's what I'm getting. Okay. And across Missouri, issues look a little different at each shop, but owners statewide agree no one is immune. From larger companies to mom-and-pop shops, everyone is struggling. When it hits anyone, I mean, it doesn't just single out the small business, it doesn't single out the large business, I think it hits everyone altogether. That's Lainey Landolt, owner of Espresso Lane in Herman. Landolt has had to institute a 25-cent cost increase for all of her products because of increases in industry prices and shipping costs. Over the last year, coffee prices have skyrocketed, with coffee futures hitting a 10-year high in early February. Along with increased prices, coffee shops are dealing with long wait times for materials. Landolt said stocking cups, lids, and straws has been one of the biggest challenges. To make sure she had enough straws, Landolt bought from 10 suppliers just to be safe. So I ended up with 30,000 straws, but we had straws. <laughs> and then I had other people that needed them, so I uh, was able to get them straws as well. So a couple of places in town needed straws, so I went ahead and sold mine to them so that they had things too. Landolt isn't the only coffee shop owner dealing with these delays. Tony Anderson owns Three Story Coffee, a roastery and coffee shop business with locations in Jefferson City and Columbia. Three Story is known for its specialty coffee and close relationships with its growers across the globe, but Anderson says he's having trouble getting green coffee, raw, unroasted beans, at the price and speed he's used to. He said he's had to wait months for coffee from Burundi. So that coffee, you know, we should have got mid-late December, and then it became mid-January. And now it's late February. So one of them's supposed to arrive at the end of this week. And same thing. It's like, I don't even want to call because I have no expectation. Add in long wait times at ports and a national truck driver shortage, and the lead times just keep on growing. And so do the prices for coffee bean buyers like Anderson. It was usually 800 to $1,000 to ship a container from Burundi to the U.S. They couldn't get any bids under $10,000 this year. And you had to pay the $10,000 up front just to get yourself on the list. To counter delivery shortages, Missouri shop owners have tried stocking up, finding alternatives, and sourcing for more suppliers. Steen Hunter, owner of St. Charles Coffee Shop, Crooked Tree, says his shop has focused on stockpiling to make sure his store has everything they need. Stockpile enough, especially, you know, non-perishables like paper stockpile enough so that you've got time to react if they become unavailable again. And then you always have a always have a plan B for... Uh, food products as far as if you're not able to get a certain thing, you, you, know, you, have it, you have it available from somewhere else. And coffee makers statewide don't see these issues letting up anytime soon. The general consensus is that shops will continue to experience supply slowdowns and shortages for months to come, with the only option being to adapt and write it out. For our next story, we are going to dive into a proposed bill in the Missouri legislature that would give tax credits to filmmakers that choose to shoot here in the state. Reporter Nick Knoll got to look into the story, and we are joined by him in the studio. Thanks for coming on, Nick. Of course, DC. Happy to join you. So, Nick, I know that Missouri isn't a place where movies and TV shows are often filmed. I mean, one of the biggest shows on Netflix right now is centered around the Lake of the Ozarks, but it's not even filmed in Missouri. You're exactly right, DC. In the show, the Lake of the Ozarks is almost a character, but the show isn't even filmed in Missouri, let alone at the lake. 
most of the show is actually filmed in Georgia. And why is that? Georgia has a leg up in recruiting filmmakers to come shoot there over Missouri. The state has a tax incentive program that gives filmmakers tax breaks for filming, producing, and hiring within the state, as well as meeting other requirements. Generating $2.7 billion in revenue for the state of Georgia in 2018, the program has drawn in multiple blockbuster films and popular TV series since its implementation in 2005. Avengers Endgame, Black Panther, and Stranger Things, to name a few. Wow. So this program has clearly pulled in filmmakers into Georgia. Yeah, and the funny thing is, the Georgia program is very similar to a Missouri program that existed before 2013. What happened to that incentive program? It simply expired in 2013. Lawmakers have tried to revive the program multiple times in the last few years, but they haven't been able to get enough traction to pass the tax incentive program. Over 30 states have a film tax credit program, and 45 offer at least some form of film tax incentive or credit. So if there is this much polarization, I'm guessing there are some pros and cons to this tax incentive. First, can we start by going into the positives of the program? Sure. Some argue that the location where a movie or TV show is filmed receives a significant economic boost. When a film crew and cast go to a set, there are dozens and dozens of people that are staying in your town's hotels and buying food and other products from your town's businesses. Megan Flynn is a former actress and current producer on her own production company, Smart Mouth Productions. She acted in 2009's Up in the Air, a George Clooney and Anna Kendrick movie filmed in St. Louis. You know, when I was in St. Louis for Up in the Air, just me, I think, was, you know, five nights in a hotel in St. Louis, you know, and, and you think about a cast and crew of, of hundreds, them renting local costumes and buying things in local stores and, you know, renting cars and paying and paying location fees. Like I allow my home to be used as a location fee when out of town productions come in. Um, and I happen to be in the industry, but if I wasn't, you know, people will pay me a lot of money to just come film in my house. And so if you're filming in a local coffee shop or a local thing like that, you know, we have, there's a production in Cincinnati right now. That's a big, huge film that I just through the grapevine. I know what they're paying on location fees for some of the office buildings and things that they're using. And that's to the local people. That makes sense. A film is like a sort of attraction or big sporting event in that way, bringing in consumers from outside the region to flock to the area's businesses. Yep. Michelle Davidson is the president of the Missouri Motion Media Association, which advocates for the industry in the state. She says the state leaves a lot of money on the table when films and TV shows aren't shot here. Now, since we haven't had film incentives, we have seen Missouri set stories. So those are TV shows like Ozark um, or American Underdog, which was about Kurt Warner partially set in St. Louis with the Rams. We've seen a huge loss of business from, uh, from those types of productions, those Missouri set stories. So we estimate it's about $800 million that we've lost because we didn't have a film incentive. So luring in filmmakers could be an effective investment. And that's not the only positive of the tax incentive program. Flynn also says the program can also create employment and career-building opportunities for young actors and film students. There's film schools at a lot of the colleges around here, and a lot of these kids, when they're done, 
rather than staying here and being able to create things and build things, they, they do, they leave, you know, because because they have to. There's just not enough to work on here. All right. So we've gone over some of the positives of the program. What about the negatives? Well, some economists argue that this investment comes with a high cost to taxpayers. Research done by Augusta University political science professor Wesley Mears showed that while the film industry contributed nearly $3 billion to Georgia, the state had to pay $801 million on these tax credits with taxpayer dollars the previous year. And while that seems like a net positive, it's not like each taxpayer in the state is benefiting from the making of the film or the revenue it brings into business, right? Exactly. Coriana Beyer is a senior analyst at the Show Me Institute, a think tank that supports free markets and small government. She says the benefits these programs bring are far too concentrated, not justifying the cost that ends up being placed on the rest of the state. Last year, $618 million is what Missouri spent on tax credit programs. So even though these are narrow programs that just affect one very specific business, it's not a small problem. $618 million is not a small amount of money that Missouri is throwing away. And it's not like each taxpayer can benefit from this. It's not like we all get some sort of credit. Do we have any examples of movies filmed here in Missouri and the economic effect they've had? Yeah. The Ben Affleck movie, Gone Girl, was filmed in Cape Girardeau for seven weeks in 2013. The film contributed $7 million to the town's economy, according to data released by 20th Century Fox, the film's production company. And how much did the movie cost the state? The film cost Missouri over $2.3 million in taxpayer dollars, according to research from the Show Me Institute. More research from the free market think tank says $1 in expenditures in the film industry only generates $0.40 in economic activity. So we've gone over the positive and the negative arguments for this legislation. Where is the bill in the legislative process right now? There are two versions, one in the Senate and one in the House. They are both still in committee, so we'll just have to wait and see if this is the year the program comes back. And it will definitely be an interesting piece of legislation to watch. Thank you so much for joining me today, Nick. Of course. Thanks for having me. It is time once again for our words of the week. Ian, do you want to start us off? Sure. I've got mining. What's the story behind that? It's actually a bit of an odd pairing when you hear it at first, but AMC Theaters, the largest theater chain in the world, purchased a 22% stake in a Nevada mining company. Interesting. Did they give any reasoning behind the investment? Yeah, the company Highcroft Mining is looking to develop a 71,000-acre mine that is believed to have 15 million ounces of gold, but they are also facing liquidity issues. AMC CEO Adam Aaron said given AMC's ability to rebound from similar struggles a couple years ago, he thinks the company is well-equipped to advise and help Highcroft Mining. Starting to get a better picture of this from their end, is this a trend that we should expect to continue with AMC? Aaron left that possibility open, stating that the company has $1.8 billion to spend and invest, and he wants the company to continue to be creative and bold with their investments. Your turn now. What have you got for us? I chose payouts. Tell me a bit more about that. An advocacy group reported that over the last two decades, more than 80% of farm payouts from the federal government have gone to farmers that lost their crops to drought and excess precipitation. Is this fairly normal? Yeah, a lot of farmers receive payouts for lower revenue or yield loss every year. Along with drought and excess precipitation, a decline in prices is also something farmers can claim a loss on. Are there any issues stemming from this? 
The increased frequency of droughts and floods has largely been attributed to climate change, and a lot of environmental organizations believe that the subsidies encourage farmers to continue unsustainable practices and discourage them from adapting to the changing environment. It only ensures some crops, which means a greater emphasis is placed on growing commodity crops. Costs for insuring crops will likely only increase in the future as well, with climate change causing extreme weather events. I guess we can just hope for some middle ground to be found so that farmers don't go bankrupt and environmental concerns aren't worsened. Exactly. And with that, it is time for our closing thought. Here is Tony Anderson, the coffee shop owner you heard from earlier, talking about the way his business has had to adjust to longer wait times while building relationships with coffee producers. Because our goal is to have long-term, you know, partnerships. And so we just, we've been having to kind of find different ways to develop new relationships. I mean, I've done more Zoom calls and stuff in the last year. Um, and we've even, you know, we've Zoomed with some producers and, uh, which, you know, before that wasn't, I mean, that wasn't a thing. I, I wouldn't reach out to somebody in Kenya and say, hey, you have a way to Zoom. I, you know, I'd like to, like to talk. Um, so, yeah, we just, we've kind of had to spread out and, and look at, do we need to develop more relationships to give us more options? Well, that is all for this week. Thank you to the M33 Project for providing the music for this episode. For my co-host Ian Laird, assistant producers Kaylee Anagita and Christian McDonald, and editors Kelly DeRook, Jack Knowlton, James Marshall, and Wicker Perlis, I'm DC Benincasa. This has been Business Brief. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.